0: Welcome to Final Examination, a podcast that looks at the end of the world. I'm Paul Musgrave, and I'm a professor of political science at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Over the past semester in the fall of 2018, four teams of students have researched, reported, and produced stories about how people have dealt with the end of the world right here in Massachusetts. In this episode, Nicole Matheson and Brad Palumbo ask, how did the risk of nuclear war become a normal part of life?
1: It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere, as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States, requiring a full retaliatory response upon the Soviet Union.
2: Hi, I'm Nicole Matheson.
3: And I'm Brad Palumbo. We're political science students from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and you're listening to our podcast, Fire and Ice, Massachusetts, the Cold War, and nuclear war today. We'll be discussing the Cold War and current Massachusetts residents disengagement with the topic of nuclear war. We're also going to talk about how Massachusetts may have normalized nuclear war since the Cold War, a time when it was an ever-present thought in the minds of most Americans. We're going to ask, do Massachusetts residents actually still see nuclear war as a threat? Do we still care? Or do we just view it as a thing of the past?
2: After World War II, the United States created the first atomic bomb, and the Soviet Union soon followed suit. They didn't even hesitate. America wanted to end the spread of communism. So, the sphere of nuclear war and the tension of two major powers led to a long war, often referred to as the War of Words, as nothing physical actually occurred, and it was mostly a back and forth of words, rather than a nuclear attack taking place. The threat of a nuclear attack between the two powers went cold. However, the threat of such an event lasted from 1945 to 1991.
3: To get an idea of what life was like during the Cold War, a time of terror at the potential of a nuclear attack so destructive, we spoke to Norman Smith, a veteran who lived through this time. Smith spoke about being a child in the Cold War, living under constant fear of attack.
4: Well, during the Cold War,
5: you had to worry about nuclear war. And uh, sometimes they had drills at school where you would get under the table. Or they had shelters. I know they had a shelter in Wilbraham. So you had this constantly worrying that there might be a war, 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 especially uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis.
2: Life during the Cold War wasn't easy. Living under constant fear that your world could end at any second was, as anyone could imagine, absolutely terrifying. Because of this, President John F. Kennedy, who led his title from 1961 to 1963 during this war of words, took precautions, specifically in Massachusetts.
3: JFK established MEMA, or the Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency, to protect the state from nuclear disasters. MEMA would allow for Massachusetts to have a safety building. The organization's headquarters were in the form of a bunker, located in Framingham, that would allow for the continuation of state government following a nuclear attack. This structure was built underground and built to withstand a bomb exploding as close to three miles from its location. Massachusetts was the first state in the nation to have a state emergency operations center.
2: Following MIMA, and with the influence of Kennedy's choice to start such an agency in Massachusetts, FEMA was created, otherwise known as the Federal Emergency Management Agency, such as to protect the nation as a whole. Just an example of what this agency can do in any sort of disaster from environmental or nuclear, FEMA will send out alerts to citizens in order to keep them informed and alert them of trouble. FEMA is also currently aiding individuals affected by the California wildfires, contacting victims, and providing assistance. MIMA set a precedent for such an emergency agency.
3: Another instance of preventative measures specifically made in Massachusetts is The Notch, a bunker located right in Amherst, now used as a library storage by Amherst College. Built in 1957, the bunker was a secret Air Force command post for the Westover Air Force Base located in Chicopee, a fully functioning base prepared for a nuclear attack. The Notch was built underground in the Holyoke Mountain Range, in the Bear Mountain. It was capable of holding about 100 men for up to 90 days in the event of a nuclear attack. This bunker, a place that many don't even know exists, is an example of how the issue of nuclear war has become normalized and has largely fallen into the background of our minds. The Cold War marked the end of an era, an era in which the world was not in our control. Yet, it also marked the beginning of a new one, an era in which the end of the world, or at least relating to nuclear power, is now within human control because of new technology. Because of this, nuclear war is just not perceived as much of a threat as it once was.
2: Researcher Julia Suvorova went to the bunker herself and explored the rooms that once held showers for nuclear decontamination, bunk rooms, and a war room with projectors conveying horrifying images of threats of
1: the war. Hi, my name is Julia Suvorova, and I'm standing at 100 Military Road in Amherst, Massachusetts, in front of what used to be a secret Air Force command post, otherwise known as the bunker, or the notch. As I'm approaching it, It looks rusty and the paint is chipping. It basically looks like a door inside a mountain. There is moss growing around it and through the cracks in the asphalt also. It looks abandoned, yet what I've read about the bunker prior to scheduling this visit is far from the truth. It is still currently used, but its purpose has drastically changed. Amherst College purchased it in 1999. What used to be a highly classified bunker is now used by the five colleges in the Amherst area as a library dispository. What used to be heavy lead doors made to protect the generals from a nuclear blast are now glass automatic doors. What used to be top secret rooms that no soldier could walk into without being shot are now regular rooms full of books and pieces of art. What used to be 50 different rooms such as air and water room, panel command room, decontamination showers room are now less than 20 rooms which accommodate tall bookcases. okay it's pretty chilly outside so let me go in and see what's still in here looking around i see that the paint is still here Most buildings have white paint on the walls. This one is color blocked. That's how I know it is original and not modern. I have talked to Jason Fuller, the librarian, to find out what the colors mean. Apparently, after spending too much time underground, people tend to lose sense of orientation as to what is located at the top and where is the bottom. The walls are painted with two colors to help people keep their orientation in space. Pale yellow is what covers the top portion of the wall, which symbolizes a sunny day, while the bottom portion of the wall is covered with a darker grayish-brown color that signifies the ground. As I walk around, some rooms are still in the same conditions as they were in the past, because there was no purpose in renovating them. There are many emergency exits that would have been used in case there was a lot of debris from bomb explosions if you follow this rather dark corridor there is a staircase it's in a dark corner with no lighting and it goes all the way up past all of the three floors it looks like a fire escape in that you will have to physically climb vertically up by looking at it i can already tell that if i were to climb a few yards up i would stop seeing the bottom that's how dark it is i would also probably get very tired Clearly, this was meant for soldiers who are much more physically fit, not for a girl in high heels.
3: Find out more about the reason for the creation of the secret base after this break from our sponsors. The Department of Political Science at UMass Amherst offers online education courses that give you the flexibility to gain skills, fulfill requirements, and earn credits. The department houses majors in political science and legal studies, Giving you the opportunity to take a wide range of courses with the same rigorous academic standards as on campus courses. Courses being offered for spring 2019 range from introduction to legal studies to popular music, politics, and the law. For more information on how to enroll, visit their website at www.umass.edu cpe enroll or you can call at 413 545. Now back to discussing the notch. The bunker was created to support Chicopee's Westover Air Force Base, a facility in the process of preparing for nuclear war and protecting the state. The bunker had the purpose of holding military staff with crucial positions that furthered the military operations of the state and also protecting these crucial military staff from an attack. In order for the state of Massachusetts to remain functioning in the event of an attack, and to have the ability to protect itself. Important military personnel had to be kept safe, so that's why the bunker was built to hold 100 men. The facility was actually built into the side of a mountain, because in the case of a nuclear attack, the building would be protected from a blast by the mountainside, whereas without that geographic landscape, the bunker most likely would not be able to survive.
2: Jason Fuller, the bunkers librarian and historian, spoke to us about the geographic location and why it is beneficial to the bunkers not being destroyed by a nuclear attack.
5: This building was originally attached to Westover Air Force Base, which is over in Chicopee. And at the time, Westover was a B-52 nuclear strike base. Mm -hmm. So um, this building was built on this side of the mountain because the Russian ability to target this building independently was non-existent. They knew the Russians couldn't hit something this small. So this building was built. That's why it's not underground. A lot of people think it's under the mountain. It's not. We're in front of the mountain. This entire facility exists in front of the mountain. Because if the Russians hit the Air Force Base, which has a two and a half mile long runway and is an easily targetable space, the blast wave would roll over the mountain and wouldn't collapse this bunker.
3: One surprising insight into the potential for nuclear war between the U.S. and Russia is that a war would not have happened across the Pacific or across Europe, actually it would most likely occur across the North Pole. This is because it's the shortest distance to Russia, so all our missiles would go straight over the North Pole. Therefore, the missiles would actually have traveled from both nations back and forth over the North Pole. As we found out from speaking with Fuller, there's a bunker similar to the one in Amherst located in Texas. However, it's actually above ground. That's because Texas was too far south for the Russians to reach. And therefore, America knew that we could protect this space from our opposing nation. During the 50s and 60s, it was impossible for Russian bombers to reach Texas. So to some extent, it was considered safe.
2: Back in this time, different generals would have 12-hour surveillance ships, 24-7, and would fly over the North Pole and do figure eights in a plane, as fuller states. This was done to monitor any action over the pole from Russia, as any missiles coming towards the United States would fly over this area first.
3: Now going back to the notch for a second, the bunker was built so that a high-power member of the military could be alive and protected after an attack, so that we would have the ability to fire back at the Russians. According to Fuller, this bunker was only activated once, during the Cuban Missile Crisis.
2: The Cuban Missile Crisis began after a failed invasion of Cuba by JFK, called the Bay of Pigs, meant to take Fidel Castro out of power. The invasion was to be done by Cubans who had fled their homes after Castro took over and were trained by Americans to overthrow him. However, they could not withstand Castro's many troops. Because of this, Castro and Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev reached an agreement to place Soviet nuclear weapons in Cuba to deter America from attacking them.
3: The Samuels bunker is where General Curtis LeMay stood as he suggested to JFK himself that they simply bomb Russia during the Cuban Missile Crisis because the general was sure that they would attack anyways and he wanted the U.S. to strike first. Fuller discusses this true occurrence and how such an extreme suggestion from LeMay spawned an entire movie entitled Dr. Strangelove.
5: Have you guys seen the movie dr strangelove okay it's old um it's a black and white movie it's actually called dr strangelove or how i love how i learned to love the bomb and it is a movie in which it's sort of this fictional setting where they decide to go to war with russia anyway it's based on curtis lemay in this building during the cuban missile crisis obviously there were some mistakes made when the Russians finally turned around, stopped trying to go through the blockade, and Khrushchev pulled them back and effectively saved the world. Curtis LeMay was here, on the phone with Kennedy, and he said to Kennedy, why don't we just attack them anyway? And Kennedy was like, we don't need to. And Curtis LeMay was like, no, no, I'm ordering it anyway. And there was a back and forth between Kennedy and LeMay from this building in which LeMay said, I'm going to attack Russia. And
2: Kennedy. Why? Why was he so adamant to end the world?
5: He wasn't. He was pretty sure that if they did it with, with while the Russians were turning back and everybody was calming down, that we would win and it wouldn't be the end of the world. He was sure of it. I mean, obviously Kennedy won. We didn't end the world, but that was he did that from right here in this wow. building on the phone with Kennedy, saying, "I'm going to, I'm going to attack the Russians. We're doing this. This is the right call. They don't expect it now because everything's calmed down. Let's do it before they get those missiles back to Russia. Let's do it."
3: It's clear that this topic, the potential for nuclear war, was a hot topic during the Cold War. Dr. Strangelove was released in 1964, right after Kennedy's presidency and his assassination. It was released during the Cold War. At this time, nuclear war was so present that it made its way into pop culture, and its threat to the world provided such fear and suspense that it made for good entertainment.
2: Because of the fact that nuclear war doesn't come with such fear and suspense nowadays, and is not so ever-present in popular culture, is the normalization and disengagement with the subject because of our increased technology to protect ourselves from nuclear war justified? Does this modern, technologically advanced time make it fair for us to assume that we are safe? Fuller says otherwise.
5: Knowing that, duck and cover doesn't work. So it's in some ways... Your question was, do we, you know, is that an excuse? And the answer is, no, it's not. But at the same time, our knowledge of the strength and capability of these weapons from the 50s and 60s, forget whatever, you know, physics has moved forward. We know so much more about this now than we did in the 50s and 60s. There's almost no reason to assume that it's worth worrying about. You know, do I think we should be pulling out of the treaty that Trump wants to pull out of for the nuclear weapons in Europe? No, that's stupid. Because we don't want the Russians putting land-based nuclear weapons on the doorstep of the Ukraine. We don't want that. Or, God forbid, they walk through the Ukraine and put them on the doorstep of Poland. Obviously, we don't want that. So there's some level of engagement that civilians should have, in my opinion. But do right, I think before... that it should be what it was in the 50s and 60s? No, because we know better. Right. It, ducking cover isn't going to work. So,
2: And that's a good point, is that they were more educated and concerned about surviving it even during the cold war versus <clears throat> doing the work that it would take before we even got to that point so i feel like that brings up a- another good point that maybe a civilians role should not be so concerned on surviving it in the aftermath once the decisions have been made but more like okay how can we discourage the U.S. and other countries from getting to that point. After the break, we'll discuss current ways that Massachusetts residents are still engaged with the threat of nuclear war.
3: This episode of Final Examination is brought to you by the UMass Amherst Libraries, comprised of the W.E.B. Du Bois Library, the tallest academic research library in the world, named after the famous African-American scholar and activist, and also the Science and Engineering Library located in the leaderly low-rise. The libraries are accessible to all five college students, faculty, staff, and the public, with spaces for students to study and collaborate, top-of-the-line research materials and databases, and even a digital media lab with 3D printers, virtual reality, and audiovisual production equipment and technology. For more information, visit the library's website at library.umass.edu.
2: Now back to the podcast. The Program Executive Officer for Nuclear Command, Control, and Communications for the NC3 program is located at Hanscom Air Force Base in Lincoln, Massachusetts. This program has a mission of improving the communication system that American forces would use in the case of a nuclear war. Last May, however, six peace activists were arrested after protesting the program.
3: These protesters were assembled by the Massachusetts Peace Action and protested the funding of this program being used on preparing for a nuclear attack instead of being used for American citizens' everyday life. Protesters are quoted by MassPeaceAction.org saying that the money used could be used to fund free college or health care for the American people.
2: We spoke to Lieutenant Colonel Mark Gerber, the detachment commander for Air Force ROTC Detachment 370 at UMass Amherst and former missileer. The lieutenant colonel says that the military will always support activism, like the occurrence in Lincoln. He states that the military and activists are on the same side and encourages citizens to be better engaged and informed with the topic, despite the fact that it is normalized. He emphasized the fact that citizens should take the time to develop their own opinions on the subject in order to stay informed and aware.
4: I guess my first statement would be that these are all my personal views, not the views of the United States Air Force, uh, just the views of a guy who did this at one time. The price of your seat at the table is an informed opinion. So I think the first step for anybody, regardless of the issue, is to go out and start digging up what you can find about the issue and hopefully you can do that through reputable sources not you know your neighbor who's sitting out grooming his lawn hopefully you can do that through vetted news sources hopefully you can do that by going to reports like the nuclear posture review and really get i mean tremendous time and effort is spent to make sure we get those things right And hopefully those are credible sources that can put you on the path to that debate. And then on the the matter of the peace uh, activists last May, uh, outside Hanscom and the the nuclear uh, war planning function, uh, I think the activists really centered around an issue of free speech. And I think uh, free speech is kind of a cornerstone of American democracy. And uh, I really think citizens should take every opportunity to exercise their rights and to practice the democratic ideals on which the country was founded. And you know what? Along the way, America's military will be there every step of the way to ensure that whoever they are, they always remain free to do so.
3: Well, there you have it, folks. It is crucial, as a, both as an American citizen and as a member of a democratic nation, to stay informed, to develop your own opinions on subjects, and to be independent. If you have a strong opinion on the topic of nuclear war, practice activism, because just as Lieutenant Colonel Gerber says, The military is on your side and on the same page. Just because it isn't on the forefront of our minds, don't let the topic of nuclear war fade away. Stay interested, stay curious, and stay informed.
2: Thanks so much for listening, and a special thanks goes to our hard-working crew, Julia Suvorova, one of our fellow researchers, Lauren Kershiotti, our producer, and Zifa Kosongo, and Jared Nussbaum, our engineers.
0: This episode of Final Examination was hosted by Nicole Matheson and Brad Palumbo. It was edited by Sifa Kasango and Jared Nussbaum and produced by Lauren Crociati. The material was researched by Nicole Matheson, Brad Palumbo, and Yulia Suvorova. Special thanks go to Vietnam Army veteran Norman Smith, the Notches librarian and historian Jason Fuller, and Detachment 370 Commander Lieutenant Colonel Mark Gruber for UMass Amherst AFROTC. This podcast was produced by students at the University of Massachusetts Amherst as part of Political Science 390, a course on the politics of the end of the world, led by Assistant Professor Paul Musgrave. It is licensed under a Creative Commons No Derivatives 4.0 International License.